Good morning, everyone. It's really great to be here. Great to sing with you guys this morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Michael Dash. I'm the student pastor here. I've been here since July, and I just want y'all to know I love being here. I love the community. I love the church. I love what we stand for. I love our mission. I love that we're trying to reach people who are lost. It's a fantastic thing that we're doing, and I'm so excited about it. I love being with our students. I love, I, I've known them for a few years now as I've helped with camps that we've done and weekends that we've done, but they, they just have a hunger for who God is, and they want to know more, and, and, and our small groups, just really great things are happening. And so I'm just really, really glad to be here and really, really thankful to be here. Today we are starting a new series. It's called Turning Points. And this is leading us up into Easter. And today we're going to look at John chapter 11 um, and the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Zach is going to finish that up for us as we build up. And Zach, I want you to know this, that in the coming weeks, Cole has volunteered, Cole Hoffer has volunteered to be Lazarus, wrap him up in toilet paper, he said. He wanted to know if there's going to be a skit. I said, well, I'm not getting that far today. So if you need that, find Cole Hoffer after and he will give you a hand. I want y'all to think about a time that you were really nervous. Maybe it was a big meeting at work that you had. Maybe you had a big test at school. Big one coming up, right? Maybe it was the first day that you had at a new job or you were meeting people for the first time. Maybe it was the first day at a new school. Maybe you're awaiting test results. You've gone to the doctor, you've, you've had some medical issues, and so you've gone, and, and so it makes you a little bit nervous. I want to share about a time that I was nervous. Uh, I was a band nerd, and eighth or ninth grade, I played the trumpet. And so we had a concert coming up, and if you're familiar with the song Georgia On My Mind, I had the trumpet solo in that. He, Ray Charles made that song uh, famous, at least to me. I know someone else wrote it, but that, that's how I had heard it, and so I was super nervous about this. I'm talking about the sweaty palms kind of nervous. And part of the reason I was nervous is because I don't like to be in front of people. I still don't like to be. My heart right now is going 80, 80 miles an hour. I just, it's never been something that I'm comfortable with. But the thing is, I played the solo, I survived. It wasn't terrible, at least my parents said that it wasn't terrible. But it sure was scary. It was my first solo. It was a turning point. See, turning points are moments that turn our lives around and set us in a direction that we weren't going before. Let's talk about some, some positive turning points, some, some good news here. Getting a job, that's a great turning point, right? Making the team or, or getting that part in the play that you were hoping that you'd be a part of. Getting married. Having kids. Getting out of student debt. Maybe the last payment on your house, and now you're debt free. Those are some great things, some good turning points that set you in a new direction that's positive. But we also know there are some negative turning points. Maybe you're cut from the team. Maybe you fail a class. Maybe an end of a friendship happens, end of a relationship. Maybe that's through divorce. Maybe you got those test results back and you find out that you have cancer. 
Maybe you lose your job. And so I think the important thing to know is what do we do with the turning, the turning points that we face? How do we respond? How do they affect our faith? Because in my experience, turning points that either build our faith, they either make us stronger than before, like we feel like God is right there with us, or they destroy our faith. And we're left to pick up the pieces, and we wonder, where is God? And sometimes I think we might even ask, does God exist? Does he see what's going on down here? And so it throws a lot of doubt in our life. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in John chapter 11, because they were going through a pretty terrible turning point in their life. And so what I want us to know about John chapter 11 and the author is that he was one of Jesus' closest three friends. And he had written this down so that we could read it, so that we could understand, so that we could know. And if he was one of Jesus' three closest friends, what we know is that he hung out with Jesus for three years, daily. We know that he ate with Jesus, that he joked with Jesus, that he shared intimate moments and stories with Jesus We know that he watched Jesus handle stressful situations. And when you eat meals and and, and you see that Jesus also, he went to the hurting, he went to the lonely, he went to the outcast, and he ate meals with them too. And they were a part of this. They saw Jesus heal people, teach people, and respond to people with kindness. And our author had seen Jesus when he was with people during turning points in their lives. So let's start with John chapter 11, verse one. I'm gonna read it for you guys. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And I wanna stop right here. I I think it's really important that we realize Jesus' humanity here. Jesus had close relationships with people. While, While he was fully God, He was also fully man, and he enjoyed people. He enjoyed those friendships. So he laughed with friends. He ate with friends. He hung out like the things that we talked about earlier. And today in our story, we see that he was close with Mary, Martha, Martha, and Lazarus. And since Lazarus was sick, Mary and Martha, they reached out. Let's continue reading in verse 3. It says, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Notice that what we just read, the message Mary and Martha sent, it didn't use Lazarus' name. It says, he whom you love. And I think that tells us something. I think it tells us that Lazarus is a dear friend. And in fact, some translations, that's the way they put it, that Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. And you know what else I find interesting? Mary and Martha, they didn't call for a doctor. I know medicine wasn't the same back then as it is today, but they had doctors, and they, and they didn't call for a doctor. And I think that's because, just like all the people in Bethany, where they were, they had heard all the stories of Jesus' miracles and healings. And so I think they knew that Jesus could heal Lazarus. Let's keep reading in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness 
does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? See, Jesus is at a turning point in his own life. The death of a friend, it's going to impact Jesus. And Jesus, he loved his friends. And I think it would make sense, right, if, if Jesus hurried there and he healed Lazarus. Or it would make sense if right there Jesus just proclaimed it like he did at other times and just said, you were healed right from there and Lazarus would be healed. I mean, he can do that, right? He's Jesus. But Jesus didn't go that route. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, Jesus chose to do something different. Jesus showed his trust and his love in God's plan. The scripture tells us so that God could receive glory and Jesus himself could be glorified. And it shows that Jesus is the Messiah. Scripture teaches us that Jesus was more concerned with God's plan, God's glory, than humanity's comfort. Now I know that's backwards. I know that doesn't sit right with us because we want to feel comfortable. I mean, Jesus, his friends had a physical need. But what we see is, is Jesus put God's given mission first, which is something that Jesus taught. Matthew 6.33 tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. And this is tension that we face too, isn't it? In our own lives. The glory of God and loving people and loving our friends and, and loving our neighbor. I think this is something that we struggle with too that we face. But in Mark 12, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is like it. It's love people. And so Jesus is caught in this tension. But what we see here is that Jesus is going to do both. Jesus loves people by putting his friend's needs before his own. See, the scripture tells us that the people of Judea just days before wanted to stone Jesus. And in the face of danger, what does Jesus do? Jesus makes another choice so that he might display God's glory and love his friend well. Jesus goes anyway. Jesus walk, works through this tension of God's mission. And he does this by loving God and loving people. Jesus tells us, excuse me, John tells us that before Jesus got there, Lazarus died. And this is a turning point, another turning point in the story. See, Mary and Martha, they had sent for Jesus. They had put their hope in Jesus. And yet, Lazarus died. How do you think Mary and Martha felt? Sad? I think that's fair. I, I'm going to guess that maybe they felt a little angry. Maybe even at Jesus. They were disappointed. They were confused. Why didn't Jesus come sooner? They had to be thinking that. And I think I'd react similarly. 
Scripture goes on to tell us that when Jesus got to Bethany, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And we need to understand the significance in this. See, Jewish people believed that the soul of someone after they died hung around the body for about three days. And then on the fourth day, it left. It went away. And so, with that being said, there's an emphasis here in the Scripture that only a divine act could now save Lazarus. And guess what? Jesus, the Messiah, is divine. It was not beyond Jesus' power to now do something about it. So as Jesus approaches Mary and Martha's house, Martha goes out to meet him. Let's see what she said. Look in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, we can hear anger, confusion, disappointment. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And at the same time, we can hear trust. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Lazarus has died. Martha has reached a turning point in her life. And she's wavering between trust and doubt. Their world is falling apart. The unexpected has happened. This is not what they had hoped for. We get this, don't we? I mean, it may look different for us, but we get this disappointment. We get this confusion. We get this struggle between trusting God and doubting God. Maybe cancer unexpectedly happens. Maybe your girlfriend or your boyfriend breaks up with you. Divorce, financial issues, the things that we face in life. And so sometimes we struggle with faith and we wonder, can we trust God? When we go through turning points, a great question is, how do we react? I think it's important to look at what they make us ask. Because turning points sharpen our focus. Turning points get our attention. Turning points make us ask, what is God really like? What do I believe about God? So let's see how Jesus responds to Martha. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, Martha, like many Jewish people, believed that there would be a resurrection in the last days. But she was missing Jesus' point. See, Martha had an emotional need. She was trying to meet that emotional need. She was sad. She was confused. And Jesus wanted to meet that need, but he also wanted to do more. See, Jesus knows Martha's questions. Jesus knows Martha's anger. 
Jesus knows Martha's confusion. And when life falls apart, when things don't go as planned, when you come across a turning point, Jesus knows your questions. Jesus knows your anger. Jesus knows your confusion. And what Jesus asked Martha to do, he asks you and me to do. Belief. I feel like a good question to ask when we hit a turning point is, how do I know that I can trust Jesus? And the answer is found in Jesus' response to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. See, we are in need of resurrection because we're all spiritually dead. Every single one of us is dead because of our sin. Our desire to sin because we enjoy sin. And sin separates us from a holy God. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 describes why we need saving. It says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. See, Paul, the author of Ephesians, he's teaching us that we are spiritually dead because of our sins. And because God is holy, there must be punishment for sin. We all need resurrection because our sin separates us from God. And when you and I, when we realize that we're sinners, We've hit a turning point. The good news is, God isn't surprised by our sin. God is a merciful, loving God who has a plan to rescue us. And the interesting thing about this plan is we don't, we don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve it, but God loves us. And so we planned it this way. So let's keep reading in Ephesians. I want us to see why God did something and what he did. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. See, God saves us because he is rich in mercy. Merciful is who God is. It is his being. It is his nature. And that tells us that he would do something about our sin. And since it's his being, since, since he is mercy, God cannot run out of it. There is nothing that you and I can do that will disqualify us from receiving God's mercy. See, because of God, because his great love for us, his mercy, it rushes toward us. It 
to save us from ourselves, to resurrect us through Jesus' death and work on the cross. Romans 5, 8 tells us this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, Jesus' resurrection means that we are dead because of our sins. That we need life. We need to be resurrected. So the mercy of God through, the, through Jesus resurrects us. We struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with God's mercy. Some of us struggle to trust God because we've been hurt or we've been abandoned by people. We've been let down by those that we love. And so we say, how can I trust God? And some of us struggle to trust God because of our own sin. Because we've let ourselves down. Because we continue to sin. Because we have sins that we struggle with and we can't get rid of them. And so we don't feel worthy of God's mercy. And so we struggle to trust. So I say to us, I want us to remember and understand that God is mercy. It's who he is. He cannot run out of mercy. Mercy is what God does. Mercy is the reason that God resurrects. See, God sent Jesus, who willingly came, into our suffering to rescue us from sin. Should we take sin seriously? Absolutely. Should we take God's mercy seriously? Without a doubt. So we've talked a little bit about Jesus being the resurrection. So let's move into what does it mean when he says Jesus is the life? When Jesus says that he is the life, Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be divine. Not just the superhuman who, who teaches us really great things and has these great moral lessons. It's not just that he's just this really moral person. He is claiming to be God in the flesh. He is claiming that he gives us life eternally. He is a sacrifice for sin that makes it possible for you and I to have a relationship with God, that makes it possible for you and I to be with God forever. He's claiming that he rescues us from sin. He's also telling us that he gives us a complete life that lacks nothing. In the good times and in the bad times, Jesus gives us life that, lasts, that, la that lacks nothing. Psalm 23 gives us a great picture of how Jesus does that. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, 
and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Did you catch it? Did you see it? Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue. Unfailing love is equal to God's mercy. God's mercy is not passive. God's mercy is active. I want to paint this picture. See, some translations, they don't do well with this part. They say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. But when you look at the original, we need to understand, God's mercy is not a little puppy dog following us around. God's mercy is a ferocious lion pursuing us, chasing us down. God's mercy pursues us when we mess up. When we intentionally sin. (laughs) He does this through Jesus coming to earth. Because Jesus, when he came to earth, he showed us what God was like. Jesus brought life by the way he lived. And by the way he treated people. The way he included sinners and ate with them the way that he pursued sinners and loved them. And he usually did this by meeting their needs, emotional and physical. This makes me think about three stories in the Bible. The first one, Jesus showing respect to the woman caught in adultery. She's thrown there half naked in front of him. And what does Jesus do? He he treats her with dignity. And he does this so that he can challenge her not to sin anymore. What about Jesus talking to the woman at the well? She's an outcast. Nobody will hang out with her. Nobody will be around her. She's at the well by herself. And yet Jesus knows that and he meets her there so that he could offer her eternal life. What about the rich young ruler? See, he was the good guy, right? He said, oh, I follow all the rules. But Jesus wanted his heart. Jesus didn't want a rule follower. Jesus wanted his heart. And so Jesus helped him see, here's where you lack. Here's where you're following. And Jesus was doing this out of love and compassion and his mercy so that he could have the heart of the rich young ruler. And the thing is, Jesus does the same for you and me. See, Jesus, he came down from heaven to be with us, to pursue us, to experience pain and heartache, sickness, so that he could understand, that he could be with us. I think of it like this. If you're stuck in a hole, Jesus doesn't go over to the edge and go, hey, how you doing down there? You need anything? Can I get you some snacks? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus jumps down in the hole. Jesus gets down in there with us to walk with us, to experience it, and then help us get out of the hole. See, Jesus got in the middle of life. He understands what it means and what it is to be human. When a turning point gets our attention, We always find Jesus in the middle with us. He pursues us 
out of his love and out of his mercy. He gave his life on the cross so that you and I could live. He knows what we need and he gives it to us. Life. Here's the thing. Sometimes turning points in our life, they don't go like we had hoped. They're not all, they don't always have great endings. Jesus doesn't do that with all of our turning points. I mean, we have prayers that don't get answered the way we want, don't we? We've all asked him to do something, and he doesn't do it. So what now? What does that mean about our faith? When things don't go as planned, we still do what Jesus asks. We believe. Why? Because Jesus is right there with us. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is not just some good person. He is God come down in the flesh. When we realize Jesus is right there, when he's right there with us in the good and the bad, that's when our faith grows. Our pain, it doesn't have to be the end of the story. Yes, it's a part of the story, but it's not the point. Yes, pain gets our attention. I mean, C.S. Lewis says that, right? Pain is God's megaphone. <laughs> but it doesn't have to destroy our faith. It's possible to go through the toughest pain possible and come out trusting God more. God doesn't always take the pain away. It can even take many years for us to understand. I talk with the students about this all the time. The story of Joseph. Joseph was 17 and it wasn't until he was 30, 31 years old that he understood what God was doing. See, turning points, they, they can stretch us and they can grow us. They can make our faith real. They can make our faith personal. And Jesus, he did this with the woman at the well. He took a pain-filled life of divorce and heartache and he offered her eternal life. And then what did she do? She ran to the town that had rejected her, the people that would, wouldn't hang out with her, and she told them all about Jesus. Look, what this, look who this man is, I found the Messiah. See, and just like the faith of the woman at the well caused people to see God, so can yours. See, Pastor Zach used the woman at the well to teach us the, the mission of West Hill, right? We walk through build, share, and bring. And that's how God can use our turning points. Build a relationship by trusting that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. See, we can build a relationship by asking two questions. The first one is this. Where is God in the turning point? When you go through something hard, when you go through something painful, when we walk this road, we need to ask, where is God in this? Because we've seen that Jesus doesn't shout from the top of the hole. He gets down in there with us. The second thing I think we need to ask is, in the turning point I'm walking through, how can trusting that Jesus is the resurrection and the life 
help my faith grow? How can trusting that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is who he says he is, how can that help me grow my faith? See, and then we share how God is working with those around us. We take our turning points, we take that pain. We take the comfort that God gives us, the, the way that God walks with, and we share that with people around us, just like the woman at the well did. How do we do that? I suggest two things. Identify friends, classmates, coworkers, neighbors who need this, this life that Jesus offers. And we might be wondering who that is. Well, I think Jesus gives us a great picture. When we read the Gospels, we see who Jesus hang out, hung out with. We see who he ate with. We see who he interacted with. And we should do the same. And we've got to share how our faith helps walk through those turning points. Share what God means to us. Share how Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Share how Jesus got down in that hole with us. And we bring. When we've built that relationship, when we've shared our story, we can bring those who we are sharing with to church. We're all going to face turning points. We're all going to face things in our life that are hard to deal with. The question is, what are we going to do with them? Maybe this morning, there's someone here today that is wondering more about who Jesus is. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're wondering who he is. You're wondering how to have a relationship with him. I want to encourage you, find one of the pastors, find one of us after the service and talk to us about that. We would love to talk with you about what it means to start a relationship with Jesus. And I also know that there are those out there who are going through turning points and you have faith in Jesus and you're struggling. So after you talk to God about it, what Christian friend do you have praying for you? Who are you sharing with that can encourage you? Who are you walking life with that can help you? Let's pray together. God, you are a merciful God who loves us so much. Who has a plan to rescue us. Because you're good, because you're loving because you want to be with us. You like us. You love us. So Lord, I pray that when we encounter turning points in our life, that instead of it destroying our faith, that we cling to you because you got down in that hole with us, because you came down to earth to experience it, to do something about it, because your plan to rescue us was Jesus dying on a cross so that we might know the resurrection and the life. That we might have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you walk with us as we go through our turning points. Lord, I pray that you will help us to reach out to those around us. The same people that you reached out to. 
so that we might share that you are the resurrection and the life. Put that in our hearts, Lord, to build, to share, and to bring. To show people that are far away from you that you came to rescue them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.